following sermon audio is from Love City Church, Cincinnati. More audio and information about Love City Church can be found at www.mylovecitychurch.org. If you would, please turn with me to the book of Hebrews chapter 1. Uh, we looked at the first three verses last week. Today we will finish the chapter, verses 4 through 14. Last week, uh, we saw how Jesus is better than all the prophets through the Old Testament, who God used to speak to his people in portions, because Jesus is the complete picture. That's why Jesus is better than what the Old Testament prophets brought forth. And, and just so you know, that's, that's the title of this entire study through the book of Hebrews. We've called it Never Better, the idea being that the, the author of the book of Hebrews goes to great lengths to convince those who would read it that Jesus is better, and his primary contrast is Jesus and his new covenant is, is better than the old covenant, but the, the application is broader than that. Really, Jesus is better than everything and anything we could possibly uh, be confused about, right? And so that's, that's what the thrust of the book of Hebrews is, the idea being, and what we're hoping for is for you to come out of the other side of this, if you're a Christian, you're a follower of Christ, to be able to say with real conviction that because of Jesus being your king, you really are never better. Even if you're going through a difficult season right now, even if things are really hard because of Christ, you've never been better. You'll never get better than when you have Jesus as your king. And it also speaks a word to those who maybe have not yet come to faith in Christ, that, that, that kind of ache that we all feel as a result of being disconnected from the God that made us, that's never going to get better without coming to a realization of the real problem, which is sin that separates us from God, and coming to the real solution, which is Christ, and submitting to him by faith. Amen. So, as I said, we talked last week about the Old Testament prophets, Jesus being better, that the prophets gave uh, truth about God in portions, Jesus being the complete picture. It's almost as if the Old Testament prophets were given individual puzzle pieces, and then when Jesus came on the scene, it's all those puzzle pieces, it's as if all those were laid down and you could see the whole thing. Or maybe an even more on-the-nose idea. How many of you have seen these images? I, I think they're pretty cool. Uh, it's, it's, it's a collage, say, of a thousand different photographs. If you zoom in, you can see each one is an individual photograph, but then when you kind of zoom out, all those photographs make another image. Have you seen these before? If you haven't, look them up, because they're, they're really cool. That's kind of what the idea is. Portions, the, the Old Testament prophets were given portions of truth. Jesus is the whole thing. Not just that Jesus came with a message, but that Jesus is the message. Amen. Okay. Now, so this week, we're going to see the author now pivot and make a, a vigorous argument that Jesus is superior to angels. Now, in both cases, we, we are being warned against, both what we saw last week and this week, and we will in, in several ways throughout this book, we're being warned against something that is sometimes called veneration. If you're not familiar with that word, it basically means to elevate someone other than God or something other than God to the place of being worshipped. That may not be the, the uh, definition that everyone would use, but it's, it's the particular one that we're looking at and saying is a problem because there's nothing wrong with having great respect for people or even angels. But it becomes problematic when that respect or reverence crosses the line of worship because God alone is worthy of worship. I want to just give a fair warning here. Uh, how many of you have heard the term Bible thumper before? Have you heard the term Bible thumper? Okay. Uh, basically today, uh, unbeknownst to you, you walked into a situation where you're, you're only going to have a couple options. Either as a result of this text and, and how it works, you're either going to have to jump in and be a Bible thumper today, or you're going to have to sneak out of here. Uh, because the, the, the structure, and I think as we read it, it'll be more plain to you, this thing is just soaked in Old Testament scripture. This author, the thrust of his argumentation is to reach into the Hebrew scriptures and prove the points from there. I'm, I'm real happy with that. I, I would rather somebody go to the scriptures to make the point than say, hey, I have this idea and, and here's my opinion about it. I don't really care. I want to know what God's word has to say about it. And that's what's going to happen today. So we're going to be 
you're going to hear a lot of scripture references today. So I'm going to encourage you, if you're a note taker, um, as, as, we're, as we're blazing through this, uh, what you might have the opportunity to do many times is just write the reference to the scripture. And I'm hoping that then some of you uh, may go back later this week and, and actually look up all these Old Testament references, okay? Uh, but I'm going to, as, as the author quotes it, as, as he's making his argumentation, uh, he doesn't say, you know, that this is where these verses are found and whatnot, okay? So, uh, so why, you may wonder, are <clears throat> angels a concern for the author of the book of Hebrews? And if, if you weren't here last week, let me just quickly say this. I'm going to keep saying the author because we don't know for sure who the author of Hebrews is. Now, if you have questions about that, I, I kind of dealt with that more fully last week. So I would just encourage you to go back to that. If I get back into that, then we won't get where we're going today. Okay. But why are angels a concern for the author of the book of Hebrews? Well, tradition held that angels, and we're talking about in the time that this was written and before, tradition held that angels were involved in delivering the law to Moses. Okay. And so what that ended up meaning was that there was many people who had a either inordinate interest in and or had crossed that line of worshipful veneration of angels, okay? Uh, it was a problem, and, and we see that. Uh, this, this belief was pretty, pretty prolific, uh, and, and, and it's not even necessarily that that's wrong. Now, if you go back to the Old Testament accounts that we have, it's not as clear from those, but, but somewhere along the line, maybe there's some other texts that God didn't see fit to have incorporated into the canon that, that let early believers know that this was true. Paul probably thought it was true. In Acts 7, uh, verse 53, he says, uh, this is Luke recording something Paul said, you who received the law as ordained by angels and yet did not keep it. Okay, so <laughs> Paul's, Paul's railing on somebody, as Paul often does, is letting them know that they, they didn't uh, obey the law. So uh, Galatians 3.19 uh, this is also written by Paul. Why the law then? It was added on account of the violations having been ordered through angels at the hand of a mediator, that would be Moses, until the seed, capital S, Jesus, would come to whom the promise had been made. Okay? So as a result of this belief, this tradition that angels were a part of delivering of the law of Moses, I told you last week, when it comes to like ancient Hebrew superstars, uh, Moses is top of the list, right? If in Judaism, Moses is the man, okay? There's other guys that we think are cool, but like don't talk bad about Moses or you're gonna get in a scrap, all right? With, with, a, with a Jew, don't do it. They're coming for you, all right? So, so because of the receiving of the law uh, was such a pivotal moment in Jewish history that there had developed a, a dangerous tendency to worship angels. And in case you're thinking, oh, well, maybe, maybe the writer of Hebrews was just like blown this out of proportion. It wasn't that big of a deal. Well, no, because Paul also thought it was. He warned the Colossian church in Colossians chapter two. He said this, take care that no one keeps defrauding you of your prize by delighting in humility and the worship of angels. Okay. So this was not just uh, kind of a, single, you know, single issue voter type thing, or, you know, like the author of Hebrews just had this, this ax to grind. This, this is a, a serious concern, um, particularly in, in this time frame. but I'm going to make the case that it's, this idea isn't gone. This problem isn't gone, uh, in terms of humanity being confused about it. Uh, now I know some of you might already kind of be thinking, uh, oh, well, you know, I already know that Jesus is superior to angels, so, you know, I don't really need this sermon. My, my, my guess is, as most of you drove in today, prayerfully considering what the word of God had for you, because I know that's how you guys drive in, you're prayerfully considering <laughs> what the word of God has for, you know, you're just, you're getting in that zone. Uh, you probably weren't thinking, Lord, please, please let Pastor Vince deal with the superiority of Christ over angels, it's something I'm really dealing with, something that's vexing me the deepest part of my soul. I realize that's probably not the case for most of you, uh, but I will say there's, there are probably some of you that have some confusion maybe mixed into your understanding around this and you, and you may not even know it. Um, and so this, this is absolutely worthwhile for us to be dealing with. And also I would just encourage you that we need to remember uh, <clears throat> this isn't just about worshiping prophets or angels. It's about letting anything take a place of preeminence in our hearts and minds 
over and above the Lord. Uh, and also, which I'm gonna, I'm gonna make this case for you even a little more vibrantly, but there is a lot of confusion about these things for many people, okay? And so if you desire to be a true disciple of Jesus, one thing you shouldn't do is, is view the value of Bible teaching only through the lens of personal application. I hope that you're not just coming here on Sundays and, and you determine whether or not uh, the, the, the time spent gathered as God's people in worship and the study of God's word and taking of communion. I hope you don't just judge that based on how personally warm and fuzzy it made you feel or how personally uh, you felt it applied directly to what it is you're dealing with right in this moment. Now, for, you know, I've done this for a long time. I, I couldn't count on all my fingers and toes and probably all of yours either. How many times someone has stopped me after a service and said, you didn't know anything about this, but that's exactly what I'm going through with where the word of God dealt with us today. So that does happen, but here's the other thing we need to understand. Um, you may not be confused about whether angels should be worshiped or not, but there is a lot of new age and other cult teaching out here confusing folks about God's purpose for angels. And so I hope you'll see today as preparation for you to be able to speak the truth in love to those people. Preparation for you to be able to hopefully steer them towards something that's going to set them free as opposed to bind them up. Uh, this isn't, uh, I, that was a long way for me to say this. Uh, this isn't just about you. It's a great way to start, isn't it? Yeah, put that in your pipe and smoke it. Amen. Now, I will say this. It, it, is, it is ironic that people throughout time have been drawn into praying to or worshiping angels when you consider that a lot of that started because people believed that they were a part of the giving of the law. That at Mount Sinai, part of what was happening up in the, in the, in the clouds and the storm and the thunder and all of that, right? Again, what we have in the Old Testament doesn't specifically say necessarily that angels were involved, but that's the belief that's driven some of this. Okay, we're, we're going to get wrapped up in praying to angels and worshiping angels. Angels were part of giving the law. That's tied to Moses. That's a big deal. So, but here's what's interesting. It's time, you know, crowd participation time. Should, should be a fairly easy one. Uh, so it's the giving of the law. So just shout out if you have an opinion about this. Go ahead. What do you think the most famous part of the law is? Go ahead. Shout it out if you know. The Ten Commandments. That's right. Good job, Love City Church. You guys are on it this morning. Did you guys do decaf in the back tonight what, or uh, this morning? What happened? Come on, y'all. Look, today's a heavy lift. So like if you thought you were just going to come cruise today, I'm, already, I'm trying to tell you, today's a Bible study. So put on your gospel floaties because we're getting in the deep end, okay? Now, the Ten Commandments, so now that I said that, maybe I asked a bad question. Would you say the Ten Commandments is probably the most famous part of the law, right? When people think law, oftentimes they think Ten Commandments. Most people can't name the rest of the 613 Old Testament commandments, right? Right. Okay. The Ten Commandments. Now, let's try this again, Love City. What's the first commandment? Have no other gods before you. That's right. And love the Lord your God, right? No other gods before you. So what's happened? Oh, the angels are part of giving the law. Let's, let's start to really venerate them, worship them, pray to them. When literally the first part of the thing you're excited about them bringing down says, have no other gods before you. Right? Here's your sign. Just, just in case you were getting like overly optimistic about human nature in general, I just wanted to bring that down this morning uh, and make sure we, we're humble before the Lord. Okay? That didn't go well. Hopefully something else in here you guys will like better. Uh, so you could be sitting, here's part of the issue that could happen as I'm laying this out. You could be sitting here thinking right now, yeah, those ancient dummies, how could they do that? Big idiots, way back then, how could they get confused about that? But here's what we need to remember. Paul in Romans 1 identifies the worshiping of created things instead of the creator as a fundamental and perennial problem for humans. Right? And that's a big part of what's going to be laid out here today. Angels are created beings. Jesus is not. Jesus is the eternal son of God. Okay? So that's a big deal. Uh, and just in case you're thinking, I mean, this is an ancient problem. We're in modern times. Like, you know, I think you're kind of just trying to make this matter. Well, if you think I'm 
blown this out of proportion to say that right now, this is still a clear and present danger. I want to read you a list uh, from someplace called the Center of Excellence. I don't know. But it describes itself as a worldwide distance learning center with hundreds of fully accredited online courses. Okay, So this is an article I found on their website. This is a, a distance learning center with hundreds of fully accredited courses. Okay, Here's their uh, article on the website. Uh, I'm not, I don't have time to read them all. It was, it was 12 signs uh, that an angel messenger is near. 12 signs that an angel messenger is near. Okay? So I don't know, something on the top of the website said like spiritual and psychic or something, so you can kind of get an idea of where they're, where they're coming from. I don't know what all. Maybe that was just a subheading of things that they try to deal with and have accredited online courses for, but you know, whoever's doing the accreditation, sweet Jesus, like get a different process because this is bad. Okay, so I'm going to give you some of these signs that an angel messenger is near. <clears throat> Dead serious, man. This is on the internet. <laughs> and it, like people are supposed to think this is real. Fluffy cloud formations. Maybe in the shape of stars or animals. Yep, that's real. Okay. A heavenly scent. They said like maybe a food that you like or a familiar scent is a sign. There's a heavenly messenger nearby. It gets better. A flurry of feathers. If you keep finding feathers appearing out of nowhere, I, some of these I just copied and pasted directly the explanation of what they mean by a flurry of feathers. This is copy and paste, man. No ad lib here. Swear to you, word for word. If you keep finding feathers appearing out of nowhere, often in random places, chances are it's a gift from the angels. Uh, in case you're confused about that, let me just help you with something. If you find feathers in a random place, it means a bird was there, not an angel. Meaningful music. If you press shuffle on your playlist and the perfect, this is a quote. Press shuffle on your playlist and the perfect song for your current state of mind and circumstances randomly pops up. An angel messenger may be near. Finding a penny unexpectedly. <laughs> I've had a lot of angels around because boy, my granddad taught me you better pick up that penny, boy. I'll leave that there. Flashes of light. There's a flash of light. An angel messenger could be near. Look out for those. Wouldn't be like the reflection in a passing car mirror or something. No, it's an angel, man. There it... There's the last one. A rainbow. A rainbow. While the angels... I, I had to give you this one. While the angels might not be able to lead you to a pot of gold, a rainbow could be a sign of an angel messenger sending you divine love and energy to color your world. This is on the internet, not ironically. Today, the article was written in March, I think is what I saw. Okay? So just so you know, I don't think we're blowing this out of proportion. Because people can go on the internet right now, and, and some group of people purporting to be accredited online educators are telling people, here's some ways you can know you got an angel messenger nearby. Amen. Maybe when lights flash... Amen. Where, where is he? Now, I want to say this. Am I saying God couldn't use some of these things maybe to encourage you? Maybe. Sure, maybe he could do that. But here's where it really goes off the rails because here's like the end line of the article. Finally, after giving you all these things, finally, always remember to take a moment to thank your angels for all their beautiful love, light, and blessings. That's where, that's the part that really goes off the rails. Because when Jesus, when the disciples came looking for instruction on how to pray, Jesus said, our Father who art in heaven. You'll see no example throughout the scriptures of somebody that's doing the right thing before God, praying to angels, praying to prophets, Worshiping anybody other than God. You won't find it. Okay? So that's a problem. Now, so what I'm saying is, could, could God encourage you 
through any of, of these things. I mean, yeah, God can do whatever he wants, but to then start thanking angels, the created being instead of the creator is, is where we, we get into trouble, okay? Now, now then, now that you know we have a real issue on our hands, let's read Hebrews 1, 4 through 14. This isn't just an ancient problem, it's, it's a current problem. Uh, and, and let's look at, at what we have from the author here, okay? Ultimate author being the Holy Spirit, which we went over last week. So, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 4, here we go. Having become as much better than the angels, as he has inherited a more excellent name than they. For to which of the angels did he ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you, and again I will be a father to him, and he shall be a son to me. And when he again brings the firstborn into the world, he says, and let all the angels of God worship him. And of the angels, he says, who makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. But of the Son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. And the scepter, the righteous scepter, is the scepter of his kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness above your companions. And you, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth. And the heavens are the works of your hands. They will perish, but you remain And they all will become old like a garment. And like a mantle, you will roll them up. Like a garment, they will also be changed. But you are the same, and your years will not come to an end. But to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to render service for the sake of those who will inherit salvation? Praise God for his word. Now you see, uh, most of your Bibles probably have, you know, verses 4 through 14, the majority of it is capitalized. That means it's a reference to, a quotation from the Old Testament, okay? And so we're following, this is why we study books of the Bible, so that we can study the flow of thought and argumentation all the way through. Last week, Jesus is better than the Old Testament prophets. Here's why. This week, Jesus is better than angels. Here's why. And now we're going to go through and, and try to break that down, Okay? So, verses 4 and 5, having become as much better than the angels, as he has inherited a more excellent name than they, for to which of the angels did he ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you. And so here we see a quote from Psalm chapter 2, verse 7, and also 2 Samuel 7, 14. Okay, so if you want to jot those down, you can go confirm that later, that that's what those say. Now, the first problem I could see with somebody reading this who's really thinking about it, they could say, okay, so, all right, the, the author's first argument is, God has called Jesus his son, and to which of the angels has he ever said that? And some of you, if, you're, if you really know your Bible, you might be saying, well, hold on, man, I remember towards the beginning of Job, you're right, it's ringing a bell, Job 1, 6, there is this one-time reference throughout all of the scriptures to what seems to be referencing the angels, and they are called the sons of God in that place. Okay, the sons of God. All right? Now, so we got to deal with that. We will. Uh, but here's the, the other thing you might be thinking is like, well, all right. If, if, that's, if, that's, if, if the whole argument is because God has called Jesus his son, that makes him superior to the angels. Well, he, doesn't he also call us his sons and daughters? You're right. Absolutely. I'm glad you're thinking about this with me. Good job. Galatians 3, 25. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For you are all sons and daughters of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Okay? Now, here's, here's the, the, the primary big difference between this one-time reference in Job to the angels being called the sons of God and uh, us being called sons and daughters of God and what God has said to Jesus. There is, there is no point where you see a angel being isolated out and, be, and God saying, that is my son. Never once. This idea of, of that God made the angels and in that way, you know, the, the writer of Job, whoever that is, referenced them as, as sons of God. You don't, that's not a recurring theme, but over and over and over and over again throughout Old and New Testament, we see Jesus referred to as the son, the son above the rest, Right? Same idea for us, okay? There's this singular idea of sonship. It's not the same as just the fact that we are made 
uh, by God. And, and, and part of why we know that is this language of begotten, okay? So, to which it, uh, having become as much better than the angels, he inherited a more excellent name than they. Uh, for to which of the angels did he ever say, you are my son, today I be begotten you. Be- this word begotten is different than made. Begotten denotes the, si- the, the being of the same substance, character, nature, equality, right? So, and look, now you're getting into the nature of Trinity and how all that works. Yeah, I know. It's hard. I, I, God has just told us what it is. I, I'm not sure the little meat computers in our heads can even comprehend exactly how all this works, but God told us enough to, to be able to believe in, and trust him up to the amount of information he gave us, okay? So, now, it really gets clearer, though, as you continue, okay? So, th- th- we're in the same flow of thought, and again, I will be a father to him, and she, he shall be a son to me. And then again, he brings... And so then, then there's some, a little bit of commentary here in, in between another quote. Verse 6, And when he again brings the firstborn into the world, he says, and let all the angels of God worship him. Okay? So that's a quote from Deuteronomy 32, 34. And that's from the Septuagint. I told you last week that's the Greek uh, translation of the Old Testament done roughly well, right before Jesus showed up, 100 years or so before that. Uh, and that's, so it's a direct quote from that. Some of your English Bibles won't exactly say it that way, but in the Septuagint, it does say it that way. So, here's, so now we're drilling into the difference between this, this one reference in Job to angels being called sons of God and also you know, the fact that we are, and honestly, we're closer because our sonship and daughtership is an extension of Christ's sonship, you understand, right? So we're, we're made sons and daughters because Christ has made that possible through his sacrificial death and resurrection. The righteousness he earned, we get. The position he earned, we get by faith. Right? So actually, we're, we're kind of in, in the bucket here with Jesus when it comes to that. But angels are not. And this idea, this word in verse 6, and when he, when he again brings the firstborn into the world. Now again, that has caused some confusion. There are many people who have seen that and said, oh, okay, well, the idea of firstborn, then okay, we, then we've got God the Father eternal, and then God the Father somehow creates as the firstborn, Jesus the Son, and, and, and maybe the Holy Spirit and everybody else. Okay, so I could understand how you could read that and get there, but that would, be, that would fly in the face of the unity of teaching around God's nature starting all the way back in Genesis. When God says, let us make man in our image. Right? All the way at the beginning, we see this reference of God as this, this triune being, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, three persons, one God. Well, how exactly does that work, Pastor Vince? I already told you I don't know. Okay? I can't tell you. But it is. Okay? And there's, there'll be many times where uh, we, we find ourselves at that place. It doesn't, it doesn't deter me at all. Like when I, when I think of an eternal creator God, it doesn't surprise me at all that there's some things about him that are a bit hard for me to understand. Like if I thought, well, I, I've got this guy totally figured out, it's pretty hard to worship. <laughs> Somebody that you're like, oh yeah, I, I get, totally get it. I'm as smart as you are, man. No, God's ways are much higher, okay? So this idea of firstborn, let's, let's talk about that, all right? Firstborn is not... It's, it's not almost exclusively in the scriptures, almost exclusively. It's more of a reference to, to a position than it is the biological order of birth. Okay? The idea of firstborn, you'll see, I'll give you an example. Okay? If you go to Exodus 4, 22, God calls Israel his firstborn. Okay? Audience participation time again. Ready? How's this going to go? Israel, his name wasn't always Israel. What was his name before it was Israel? Bingo, it was Jacob. Okay, now think about it. Do we know the story? We got Jacob and Esau, they're twins. Was Jacob biologically the one who came out to shoot first? He was not. It was Esau. But God called Jacob, Israel, his firstborn. Okay? Um, which also, it's a reference to the nation as well, and that's the point. That kind of hones us into the language. In ancient cultures, the firstborn, uh, typically the firstborn male, was positionally in the household, 
had a place of inheritance and favor and responsibility. And many of us are probably aghast at that idea. Oh my gosh, that's favoritism. Oh my gosh, that's this ism and all the isms. I get it. Okay, but also we don't live in an ancient culture where the perpetuation of your family line uh, depended on like, you know, having enough land to raise animals and, and grow your crops and all that. So if every generation, the parents just did what we often do, which is, okay, I've got four kids, chop, 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 there's the estate, we're going to just split it in four pieces, everybody go your way. Oftentimes clans and tribes just wouldn't make it because now you're chopping up the resource into such a place, a, a small amount where you can't, you can't now like survive, right? Because we're talking about ancient agricultural societies, Okay. You guys seem really stoked about that. I'll, I'll think of more to say about it later and come back around. That seems to really be uh, striking your fancy. Anyways, that's the point, okay? So Jesus is firstborn. That's a positional thing. That's, that's what he's saying. And when, when, when that's the argumentation the author's making. Jesus is this positional firstborn of God, the one who gets the inheritance, the one who has the responsibility over the house, okay? It's, it's just... really a lot of times what God is doing is putting things in terms that we can understand. He's really awesome at doing that, uh, thankfully. So what what does that mean? What does that lead us to? Verse six, and when when he again brings the firstborn into the world, he says, and let all the angels of God worship him. As I told you, that's a quote from Deuteronomy 32, 34 from the Septuagint. Again, what are we doing here? We're making an argument that you shouldn't worship angels. Shouldn't be praying to angels, shouldn't be treating angels like God because they're not, okay? Why? Well, because actually angels worship God. So we shouldn't be worshiping them, okay? Now, is it, is it just that he says that or this one Old Testament quote? No, we actually, from John the Revelator, right? Uh, in, in the book of Revelation, we, we, we see this glimpse of, of this kind of playing out, right? So not only is it that angels are to worship. True, a true angel that's working for God, if you try to worship that angel, they're going to shut you down. Okay, let me read you this. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed me these things. Party foul, John. And the angel's going to correct him. And he said to me, the angel said, do not do that. I am a fellow servant of yours and of your brothers, the prophets, and of those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. That's what the angel had to say about it. Okay? I mean, can you imagine being that angel? Like, you got, you got, you got John in this heavenly vision falling down to worship you. That angel's like, whoa, you know, it, it, the, the wording is stern here. He starts with, do not do that. He's like, he's like, oh, hey, brother, I see that you might be confused. He's like, do not do that. Right? I, I see the angel like grabbing him. Because if I'm the angel, I'm like, I remember what happened the last time an angel got an idea in his head that he was worthy of worship. That angel's like, bro, bro, get up off the ground before I do something to you. I'm not in this. Lord Jesus, they, they, I told him. A real angel is not receiving your worship. A real angel is not receiving your prayers. Now, let's contrast that with Jesus. Does Jesus accept worship? Absolutely he does. Well, does he really? Because I know that's a big fun question people like to pose. Did Jesus really ever claim to be God? Well, he, he allowed himself to be worshiped, and he for sure knew what was up with that. Only God should be worshiped, right? He knew his Bible. So if you think about John 20, the story of Thomas, Thomas is like, hey, I'm not believing unless I touch the wounds. And what does Jesus do? I mean, you would, I would expect Jesus to thump him after everything he's been through, everything he's seen. He shouldn't need to touch the wounds, but instead, the gentleness of the master comes through once again. He says, come here, Thomas. Touch right here. Go ahead. And then what is Thomas's response when that's how the Lord deals with him? He says, Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God. Did Jesus say, hold on, don't do that. Hold on, don't say that. Only God can be worshipped. Is that what Jesus said? No. Jesus said to him, because you have seen me, 
Have you believed? Blessed are they who did not see and yet believed. So after the gentleness, right? Because most people pick a Jesus they like. They like gentle, come touch the wounds, Jesus. Or they like, what do you mean you had to see to believe, Jesus? But not understanding, both are Jesus. Jesus is tough and tender and knows exactly when to be each. Lord, help me be better at that. But he does not stop him. He does not grab the attention of the room and say, guys, hold on, Thomas is confused. He just called me Lord and God. Let's, let's make sure we don't do that because only God deserves worship, guys. Everyone clear on that? He did not. Didn't tell him to get up. Jesus received worship. It's not the only place, but I, I don't have time to run you through all the examples. Jesus was fine with being worshiped because he's God. So here's the bottom line on that. If an angel is receiving worship from people, that's not an angel, buddy. That's a demon. 2 Corinthians eleven thirteen. For such men are false prophets, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. No wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Yet another reason why we shouldn't be worshiping angels. Satan ain't out here disguising himself as God the Son and God the Father, but he'll sure try to prey on somebody's desire to have some intermediary between them and God. And I get it. God's intense. So it might be like, well, maybe I'll just hang out with an angel. <laughs> I'm not sure I'm ready to deal with like the boss, right? The jefe, right? <laughs> Glad one person knew what that meant. Okay. Now, uh, so therefore it's not surprising if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness whose end will be according to their deeds. Okay? So you can have false human prophets. You can have demonic false angels. And look, man, they might shower you with feathers if that's what it'll take to deceive you. You might wake up with a thousand pennies in your front yard. But don't be deceived, man. In any case, if a thousand pennies shows up in your front yard, don't be thanking angels for their blessings and beautiful, whatever that flowery bull snot language was that was in that website. Thank God for the thousand pennies and move on. Because maybe a demon meant to, meant to trick you by putting a thousand pennies out there, see if you could get distracted and start to think you've got penny angels. Maybe that was the focus, but if you just pick up the pennies and uh, you know, give some to the work of the gospel and just thank God for the pennies, the, the, hey, the demon lost. He didn't get no worship for the pennies. God will turn, God will turn all the devices of the enemy around for his glory and our good. How do we not get tricked, though? Because, man, that's, ooh, what if there's rainbows and pennies and feathers all in the same day and you smell some dish in the air that Grandma made? You know what I mean? Like, what, how do we got to know the word? This is why it's important for us today to be working through Hebrews together. I don't care if you don't have an altar at your house to an angel or not, man. We need to know this. Satan's out here scheming, lying, and he's not just trying to trick you, he's trying to trick people you should care about. We need to be able to speak the truth and love about these things. So, not only do angels refuse worship, not only does Jesus accept worship, but angels themselves worship Jesus. Revelation again. Chapter 5, verse 11. Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne and living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slaughtered to receive power, wealth, wisdom, might, honor, glory, and blessings. And I heard every created thing, every created thing which is in heaven or on earth or under the earth or on the sea, and all the things in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing, the honor, the glory, the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Angels refuse worship. Jesus accepts it. And angels are spending a lot of time worshiping Jesus, worshiping the Lord God. All right. Now, verse 7. And of the angels, he says, who makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. That's a quote of Psalm 104, verse 4. Quickly, I just want to point out, who makes 
his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. Bottom line here, angels work for Jesus, not the other way around. I already told you, Jesus is the big boss. He's the jefe. All right? He's not working for angels. Angels work for him. Amen. Verses 8 and 9. Let's look at that together. But of the Son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever, and the righteous scepter is the scepter of his kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness above your companions. Here we see Jesus. This is a quote from Psalm 45, verses 6 through 7. Now, this very same psalm, used in a similar way, uh, Jesus quoted this in Mark 12. Uh, Peter also quoted this same psalm for a similar reason in his sermon on the day of Pentecost. Okay, So in case there's this nagging question in the back of your mind, like, yeah, man, you know, I remember you telling us we don't really know the author of Hebrews. Like, should, should we trust his argumentation, right? Jesus and Peter both used this psalm the same way, referencing the supremacy of Christ, knowing that this psalm was looking forward to Christ, okay? Uh, that's good enough for me. If Jesus and Peter agree about it, two thumbs up. I'm in, okay? I mean, really, I don't need Peter. Like, if Jesus is good with it, I'm good with it. But uh, when Peter picked up on it and repeated it, it, it just adds even more, I think. So, uh, what, what, so what, what do we see as a result of that? That, that as this psalm, okay, it, it, we, we have... It says, verse 8, but of the Son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. So the, the perspective of the, the, this prophetic writing is, is God the Father speaking to God the Son, God the Father calling God the Son God. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter, the righteous scepter is the scepter of his kingdom. You have loved righteousness, hated lawlessness, therefore God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness above your companions. Always that word of anointing. Is, is pointing us towards the work and ministry of the Holy Spirit. Uh, here, particularly, seeing that as, as a result of righteousness and a result of, of um, obedience to, to God the Father and, and how all that works is, is even a little bit confusing. But here's the bottom line. There's this discussion of, of the oil of gladness. And, and I, you know, a whole, we could go a whole different direction on this. I just want to, in the midst of this, drop this seed into your mind and heart. I think oftentimes, um, depending on a host of factors, pe- people have a perception of God as um, maybe, maybe mean and grumpy and or like, like if I was to ask you, here's a good way to figure out where you're at. If I was to ask you, um, describe Jesus to me. Like, what is Jesus like? What, like what comes to your mind first, right? And, and here I just want to call to your attention that God anointed, has anointed Christ with the oil of gladness as a result of righteousness and hating lawlessness and the fulfilling of redemptive work. Like Jesus was joyful is, is my point. Like, so as you, as you imagine Christ, your King, um, maybe, you know, I don't know what, what the, your whole history of like the way God has been presented to you, what examples, um, you know, parents have given you and all of that, like all of that can lead to, we all have some perception of, of, how we see God, but I'm not sure like the oil of gladness is often uh, the top of the list, but God, the father, God, the son, God, the Holy spirit are joyful and uh, a big part of their joy, right? Jesus said for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Like a big focus of the God of the universe's joy is us. I wouldn't be that joyful about us. Honestly, just taking a quick survey of how things are going. Um, it's not, I'm glad he is, though. He's got a plan to fix up everything we've jacked up. Amen. All right. Verses 10 and 12. You see what the author's doing? I'm, look, starts out, big thesis, Jesus is superior to the angels. Now I'm going to go in the Old Testament, and I'm just going to rapid fire give you a bunch of reasons from the scriptures, why that's true. That's what we're doing right now, okay? Why Jesus is superior to the angels and really all created things. Verses 10 through 12. And you, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth and the heavens are the works of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They all will become old like a garment. and Like a mantle, you will roll them up. Like a garment, 
They will also be changed. But you are the same. Your years will not come to an end. What do we see here? We see that this is a quote from Psalm 102, verses 25 through 27. If you want to write that down, look at it later. What's the bottom line here? What is he saying in verses 10 through 12? What's another reason Jesus is superior to the angels? Because he is the eternal creator. He's not a created thing. He is the eternal creator. He he always has existed and always will. We see this corroborated in, in the beginning of the book of John. So thankful under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, John helped clear this up. Starting in John 1, he says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. Well, who's the Word? What's the Word? Well, you go down to verse 14. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. He's talking about Jesus. Okay? All right. So, Jesus is, is, it is, it is by his power the worlds were made. It's also by his power the worlds are sustained. So what that means is Jesus uh, always has existed and always will. And I want, you know, sometimes the wonder of that can, can be lost because our, you know, our ears start to smoke a little bit when we, when we really even try to conceptualize the idea of never-ending time uh, both backward and forward. Like, like thinking of time going on forever forward, that, that even kind of makes my brainstem quiver a little less than trying to think all the way backwards, time never starting. Like really just try to conceptualize that for a second. It's like it's a little twitch, right? Because you can't actually grab it. Really, you can't actually fully grab it. You just say, you, you can come to a place, it's, all, it's really kind of a faith thing. Like, well, God says, right, that he never started. He has always existed. There was not a beginning to him. And so I, I just kind of got to take that because if I try to, in my mind, you know, I, I jump in the time machine like, all right, all right I'm, I'm just going to go back forever and ever and ever and ever. Like, we, we need a point. We're finite beings, and we experience space-time in a certain way. So for us to really conceptualize an eternal timeline, we can't do it. And so I, what, what I want to just help us with is, this is, it's like the Trinity, like I was talking about earlier, right? You really start to get into what the Bible says about the triune nature of God. It can, it can leave you in a place of... Uh, well, it's like this. All right, this, this should be last audience participation time, but I think you, this isn't a Bible question. You guys should get this one. It's pretty easy. What do, you, what do you do with your hands when you aren't sure about something or you want to signal that you don't know? Non-verbally, let me see you do what you would do with your hands. Everyone do it with your hands right now. If I don't know, I don't know what, don't they, don't they kind of go like this? Is this pretty common? Or am I, am I the only one that signals I don't know something like this? It's about like that, right? Okay, so here's this. I want to help you. I want to help you not. I want to help you end up in the right place anytime you, you reach one of those spots where something that God has revealed about Himself is beyond our comprehension, right? So it's, it's very okay to go, I don't know. But it's so convenient because your hands are already halfway to where they should be. You can just go like this. Anytime it's about the wonder, the majesty, the eternality, the power, the triune nature of the God of the scriptures. That's where I should end up, right here. Amen. I'm not saying don't think about it. I'm not saying don't don't sit there and work on it conceptually, but some things you're just, it's not going to fully click. So what do you do then? You've got two options. You let that sow a seed of doubt. You can doubt or you can worship. I'm just encouraging you to just continue the momentum with your hands. Won't even take that many more calories to do it. Okay, amen. We're all about efficiency in this day and age. All right, verse 13. We're almost, we're almost there, guys. But to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? This is also, this, there's more color and vibrancy to this if you've got some cultural context. I mean, this is really still true, but maybe more so then. Like if you were... If you were a servant in a house and, and, and the master was there and say, we're serving dinner or whatever we're doing. If you're a servant and you're working, it was, it was very well understood culturally that the master sits and you stand. Like the, the, whoever's in charge here, he sits, they sit, she sits, 
you stand. You don't, you don't sit when you're on the job. And that idea has even kind of come for you. Ever heard someone say that? I mean, I've worked on construction sites and stuff. So I, I mean, some of you like literally sit for your job. So you might be like, I don't understand this. I'm just saying, I get that. And it's okay. But the point is like that idea has carried forward. I've, I've had, I've had bosses tell me in the past, like, don't let me see you sitting on the job. Like, okay, well, I'll stand then. Awesome. You know what I mean? But there's, there's a sign of respect and like understanding the person that's sitting is, is in a higher position than me. I'm going to stand as a sign of respect. But here's the thing. Not only does this say that God said to Jesus, sit. So this is a position of authority. Everyone else is working. Okay. You don't see a depiction of any angels sitting on the throne in heaven. What are they doing? They're rolling around, trumpeting and singing holy, 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 and doing stuff for the boss. That's his point. You might say, oh, well, that's kind of basic. I'm just leading you through the argumentation this author took these people through. Don't worship angels because Jesus is the boss. Not only is he sitting, but he's sitting at the right hand. Again, which is a sign of this guy's preeminent. This guy's in charge. Okay? This, ain't a ser- this guy's not on the same level as the people running around here doing servant stuff. Okay? That's where the angels are. Jesus is better. Jesus is superior. Uh, and it, I just think it's cool that God told him to go ahead and sit until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. I just like the idea that like nobody, nobody in the throne room is sweating evil. It's just not even, we're not worried about it. Like we know exactly how this is all going to go down and exactly the moment that we decide to shut it down, it's shut down. There's not this eternal yin-yang struggle between light and dark. This isn't the dark side of the force and the light side of the force. And we just hope that Obi-Wan and Yoda and those guys can get it together and, and just, just kind of inch out the power of evil. It's, it's, that is not the picture here. We don't have equal opposing forces when it comes to light and dark. Everything the dark is doing, God's a billion steps ahead and already figures, already knows how he's going to make them look stupid for trying it. And in the end, it's all going to end up to the praise, all of creation praising him forever. And our minds being blown over and over again how he could orchestrate so much incredible good out of so much stupidity coming out of the side of the forces of darkness. That's what the language of sit down, I'll make your enemies your footstool. Right? Amen. That's good. I like that. And a few of you like it too. And I'm glad you do. All right. Verse 14. Kind of sum, so we're summing up now really what he said. Are they not all angels, ministering spirits, sent out to render service for the sake of those who will inherit salvation? So not only is the point being made here that because Jesus is so far superior to angels, we should not be worshiping him, but actually positionally, as this thing all shakes out, right? And we're going to get to language about Jesus for a little while being made lower than the angels. There's this idea that in our current state, as the plan of redemption rolls out, yes, it it very much looks like and seems and maybe actually is that we're a little bit lower than the angels. But when all this thing shakes out and God's full intention is unrolled here, the sons and daughters of God are on a higher plane than angels, We are brought up to rule and to reign with Christ. He's the firstborn positionally. Who's coming after him? All who will be the the children of Abraham by faith. Jesus is the firstborn, the first one to go through the process of being a human, dying, ending up with a glorified body, and being ready for eternity with God forever. Jesus went first. We're coming next. Hopefully sooner than later. In my opinion, I'll just talk for me personally. You do whatever you want. You hang out here. But (laughs) whenever my punch card is clear, I'm good on this. Well, these angels are ministering spirits. What? To render service for the sake of those who will inherit salvation. Angels are servants and ministers. They serve and minister to God, to Christ, and us. God has a whole force of these incredibly mighty, powerful beings to the degree, like made of light sometimes and like crazy powerful. He, he made them for the purpose of serving him, but also serving us. It ultimately leads to an, an, just another piece of evidence of God's great love for us. And I'm gonna just end with this 
idea. I tried to think of how to, how to maybe summarize this argumentation in, in, a, in, in, a, in a somewhat modern way. And <clears throat> hopefully this is helpful. I think if, if I was, if it would have been today and, and somebody was writing the book of Hebrews and they were, they were reaching for example, I, I think this, this may have gotten close to, to grasping the idea we, we see here. So just imagine that you're at home and, and you receive uh, a package. You, gotta, you, know, you, you see the, the FedEx driver pull up. Uh, your heart, you know, they're, they're coming up the street. Your heart start, rate starts to increase a little bit. Like, ooh, I wonder if I'm getting a package. It stops like, yes, it's happening. I'm getting a package. So here it comes. Here comes the FedEx driver up to the door and they, and they bring this package and you, they hand it to you uh, and, and, and you, you open it immediately. And inside is this, this incredibly just precious Beautiful gift. Just imagine the, like, the, the most expensive thing you could imagine receiving in a box. Just go ahead and personalize it for you, along with a letter from the person who sent it, who cares for you very much and just wanted, wanted to bless you and let you know how valuable you are. So they sent you this incredibly priceless treasure of a, of, of a package, right? And, and here's, here's kind of what the author of Hebrews is saying. Oftentimes what we do to God in that scenario is is we'll, we'll set that thing down, and now, you know, now the FedEx driver's made it back to his truck, is about to release the parking brake, and you burst out of the door. Hey, stop! And you run frantically to the truck, and, and, and you grab them out of the truck, and you're hugging them, and you're kissing their neck and saying, thank you, thank you so much, thank you, thank you for this package, thank you for this gift, this amazing gift, thank you. Isn't that kind of stupid? Shouldn't we like get with the person that sent us the thing. But sometimes we get wrapped up in the messenger and not the one who sent the message. Bottom line, back half of Hebrews 1, don't be trying to, you know, hug up all over your FedEx driver. That's weird. Don't be a weirdo. Think for a second and place your worship, adoration, thankfulness, gratitude, worship, where it belongs. The God who has handed down to his people a pearl of great price, a treasure beyond comparison. What? What is it? It's him. He's given us himself in Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus. Thank you. Thank you for uh, this portion of the book of Hebrews. Thank you for alerting us, Lord, to the danger, uh, reminding us in a different way of this tendency we have to worship created things instead of the creator, to worship messengers instead of the message giver. And uh, thank you, Lord, for the fact that you have grace and mercy on us, that uh, you are patient with our frailty, uh, you're patient with our propensity to be easily confused about these things. Thank you, Lord, that you are not... uh, looking to to strike us with lightning over these failures, but you, Lord, are anointed with the oil of gladness and that you have given us your word. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Without your word, we would be totally blown about by every wind of false doctrine, false angels and false ministers and false prophets all declaring that they are speaking uh, in your name. Lord, there would be no way to sort any of that out if you had not given us this precious gift of your word, this treasure Thank you that it's a lamp to our feet and a light to our path to keep us out of those, those dark places that lead to destruction and pain for us. Lord, uh, please help us not only to stay out of inordinate um, fixation upon angels and, and other spiritual beings ourselves, but Lord, help us to uh, look out for those around us who, who may be dealing with the same confusion. I ask you, Lord, to open up doors of opportunity for us to, in love, uh, be able to rattle the shackles of, of those that may be bound up in these kind of things and, and to bring truth to bear on those. Um, your, your truth, Lord, where, where, there's, where there's truth, we're free. And um, I ask you, Lord, to help us be arbiters and, and messengers of this truth. You alone are the one worthy of worship. And whenever we get our feet tangled up in the worship of lesser things, created things instead of the creator, every single time that will lead to pain for us. Thank you for showing us that today, specifically using the example of angels. But Lord, help us keep out of all of 
this foolishness and all of its potential manifestations. Uh, Lord, we are incredibly creative at finding ways to do goofy stuff. Please forgive us for that and, and continue to be patient and merciful with us and help us, Lord, because we want to obey you. We want to honor you in all things. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Love City Church, located in Cincinnati, Ohio. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. To give or find out more about Love City Church, visit www.mylovecitychurch.org.